Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Hey, I'm glad to be here with you. I hope you're glad to be here as we continue our series called The Church Next Door. Uh, We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians. It's been a long study and we still got a long way to go, okay? Just giving you a heads up. But today, we're going to finish up chapter 10, and then we're going to pause for the next two weeks. We're actually going to finish up something Paul's been talking about for a while. But remember, next week is our Christmas Eve service on Saturday night. And then the week after that, um, it will be January 1st, New Year's Day, will be Sunday that we will be gathering together. And that Sunday, we're going to have a special service about deacon ordination because we're bringing a bunch on. So that's a special service you're not going to want to miss and and you're going to want to be a part of as we pray for our ministry leaders. So we have a lot to work through on chapter 10 today to get to where we're going. But what's happening is Paul is finishing up his thought, his idea that he brought up all the way back in chapter 8. He took a long time to work through how do you live as a Christian in a non-Christian culture? Remember, the people he's talking to didn't grow up in Sunday school. They didn't grow up with Jesus. They didn't grow up with church. They're newly uh, formed Christians trying to figure out how do I live life um, when all the things that I used to do is this pagan environment, this false worship. So how do I go about living life now? Specifically, the problem he's dealing with is they wanted to know, hey, can I eat the meat that were sacrificed to pagan gods? They're sacrificed to idols. And remember, this was one of their primary meat sources. Remember, back then, even the pagan cultures would offer sacrifices. One would, some of it would be burnt up as the offering. Some would be given back to the sacrificer. And then the rest would be given to the priest. Well, think before refrigerators, before uh, freezers... What do you do with all this meat? You can only eat so much. And so then they would turn around, sell it to the marketplace. They would, the priest would get the money for it or whatever that looks like. And then the marketplace would turn around and sell it back to the people. So this is a primary avenue for meat in their culture. And so they're trying to figure out, how do I buy my groceries? And am I going to hell for eating this steak? Right? I mean, like, that's what's going on. Am I worshiping? Am I turning my back on Jesus for eating this T-bone? What does that look like? And while we can't relate directly to that issue, although many in the world still do, we can understand they're trying to figure out where's the line? Where's the rule? How do I move forward as a Christian in this non-Christian culture? And the issue gets pretty complicated. So now Paul's going to round up his discussion, and it's we got to work through some details. We're going to get through it as quickly as possible because the, what he's specifically talking about doesn't directly apply to us, but where he lands is amazing. Where he lands is one of his most popular verses, something that you've heard several times. So where he lands is where we're going to sink our teeth in this morning. Remember, the backdrop of this, what we learned in chapter 8 is, before you participate in things, this idea of having freedom in Christ, you need to know who's in the room, right? If this is going to set someone back, you need to refrain from it. So he's going to continue with this. But here's where he lays down the idea. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
He says, so, so my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. The hard and fast rule for you, the hard and fast rule for me, for us, for we, for them is don't worship idols. And what I had to remind myself this week, because we are so disconnected from that time period, he's not talking about like we do and talk about these idols and how our work can become idols, our family can be idols. He is literally talking to people who used to go and worship at pagan temples. So he's telling them, don't go back and participate in the pagan worship and the pagan sacrifices, which includes the pagan meals and the festivals and all that's going on there where you would go and eat the meat. Don't go back and participate in those meals, in that worship. So the things you used to do, you can no longer do. Don't worship other gods. And now he's going to dive into what he's talking about. Verse 15. He says, you are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. So first up, just have to let you know, in order to have this adult conversation, you're going to have to be what? Yeah, reasonable. You ever met a Christian who's not reasonable? You're like, yeah, I'm married to one. I get it. Yeah, you got to be a reasonable person. He says, you got to think through this. Don't be difficult. He says, you got to be reasonable. Okay. He said, decide for yourself if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table... Aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. He says, think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? All right, so follow him now. He's saying there's something special when we come and partake of communion together. There's something special. It's a worshipful thing. When we are sharing the bread, when we're drinking from the cup, we are in a worshipful atmosphere. This idea of eating together, it symbolizes something. If something greater is happening when we come to the Lord's table, it's a worshipful experience. So when they're going to the temples and eating these sacrifices, he's about to compare, and this is what's going on. He's saying, hey, you can't go back and do that because I know it's just eating, but you can't go back and participate because something's going on there in that worshipful environment. He says, verse, next verse 19, he says, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. Do you want to participate with demons? Like, no, I don't want to do that. Right. Not a good idea. Keep going. He says, you can't drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and eat at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare uh, to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than he is? So when we come to worship, there is something powerful that happens. He says, you are giving yourself away to this deity, to this God. So this idea of worshiping, the participating in the food and the sacrifices, something real is going on. Does that mean the false God and this idolatry is real? He says, no. He says, those gods aren't real. However, there is a demonic force behind it all, a dark force behind it. And I don't want you participating with the darkness and the evil of the world. So what Paul's saying on one hand, the gods aren't real. 
these false gods. But on the other hand, there is something real behind them and he doesn't want us participating with them. And what he's trying to get across and what he, um, he's saying is that these forces, they're not equal and opposite to God. They're not like the gods are at war. The demonic have nothing on God. But they real are, they're a real force that distract and want us to participate in the evil and what's going on. And so he points to about this, nope, go back. He points this to the idea of him being jealous. He's, he's reminding them, reminding us of the first two of the Ten Commandments of God being jealous and not tolerating us worshiping other gods. So the hard, fast rule, what he's communicating to them, what he's communicating to us is don't worship other gods. And for them, it's thinking, hey, if I just go have a steak at the temple after the festival, like it's not really that big of a deal. Paul's like, no, no, that's part of their worship. They're communing together. They're eating together. That is a big deal. I don't want you to do that. Don't be a part of that. And so what we do see, we understand that other religions and other gods, they're not real. And this is one of those times where we see Paul saying, no, no, we are here to worship the one true God in him only. Now he continues with the thought, verse 23. He says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything's good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. We've talked about this before. He said, know who's in the room. Don't use your freedom just to promote yourself for your purposes, but use your freedom in order to help others, right? He's bringing back up what he already talked about in chapter eight. He's gonna over-explain his point, but let's go on with him. Remember why he's doing this, though. Go to verse 15. This is important. He says, you are reasonable people, and this is important for every Christian in the room. We have a thinking faith. Not everything is always black and white, Sometimes we have to pause, sometimes we have to think things through, and that's what he's showing us how to do this. Verse 25, he says, so you may eat from meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's saying, listen, there's a difference between you eating the meat from the marketplace and worshiping other gods. If you buy the meat from the marketplace, no matter where it came from, you don't raise questions about it, you don't ask about it, and you just eat it, you're fine, you're good, carry on. It's kind of like asking what's in a hot dog. There's some things you just don't do. You just kind of eat it and move on. You really don't want to know what's in there. And so Paul's saying, look, you can just move on. You can buy meat. So there's a difference, right? This is very important. There's a difference between worshiping other gods and then eating meat that's been offered if you don't know about it. He's like, they're, they're not the same thing. One you're participating in, the other you're not participating in. He said, so there's a difference. Just like there's a difference between putting up a Christmas tree in your house and participating in the Roman pagan festivals that used to happen back in the day, or winter solace. This is the holiday that they used to celebrate before Christmas, and they used to use evergreens and things like that, and Christians changed it around and started using it for our purposes to worship Jesus. But listen, there's a difference between putting a Christmas tree up in your house and worshiping pagan gods. Do you see? It's not the same thing. 
You can even put up a Christmas tree in your house that somebody's offered to the God of whatever if you don't know about it. I was like, don't go around looking for problems. Don't go around trying to get your conscience. Get off of YouTube. He says, listen, worship our Savior. It's not the same thing. Because what we have to understand is what Paul is describing is actual worship. It's them going to pagan temples, offering their lives back to these pagan gods, these things they grew up with. And so what Paul would say and what he's about to say is, listen, if putting up a Christmas tree in your home convicts you to go back and worship the pagan Roman gods you grew up with, probably shouldn't do it. But if you didn't grow up in that, and that's not something that's it, hey, put up a Christmas tree and move on. Like, it's okay, it's been baptized, it's good. That's not, we're not here to worry about those things. So he says, put up a Christmas tree, eat some good steaks, and carry on with your life. But don't, but he says, but worry about other people. Here's where it gets confusing. Now, what I have to do with this next section, I gotta break it up because it gets super confusing. Paul says something, then it looks like he contradicts himself, and then he says something else. So I broke them out for us to kind of follow his thought. I hope this is what he's saying. Verse 27. Verse 27, 29b and 30. He says, if someone who isn't a believer asks you to your home, for, excuse me, ask you, ask you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. So you're like, Brian, what's going on? If someone invites you over, go if you want. Don't go if you want. We understand? It's not that complicated. All right, let's keep going. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So he's saying, if you go over there and they offer you some steaks, what should you do? Eat them. Should you start asking questions about where they came from or what's in it? No. And he's not talking about asking if there's onions in it. He's talking about <laughs> worshiping other gods. You're allowed to ask. I'm just throwing out there to you. He's not talking about that. He's saying, hey, don't go over there, sit down and start questioning about everything. Just eat. However, now this is what he says in the middle. We broke it out so we could get his whole thought. He said, but suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. What do you do then? Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. So if you go to someone's house, they offer you meat, just eat it. But if they offer you something, say, hey, by the way, this was offered to a pagan God. This was a sacrifice. What should you do? Not eat it. See, don't say you've never learned anything at church. Now you know what to do if that ever happens to you. <laughs> this is exactly what you do. He's saying, in other words, don't go around worried about silly stuff. Remember who he said he's talking to right at the beginning. What kind of people? Reasonable people, sensible people. He's saying, guys, chill. There's a difference between eating a steak at your house and worshiping other gods. There's a difference between eating a steak at your house and eating a steak at a festival worshiping other gods. They're not the same thing. Don't participate in that. He's saying, don't, like this idea of you're free doesn't mean you go worship with pagans. That's not what you should do. But if you want to eat a steak at home, go for it. It's fine. Or at somebody's house. And he comes to this point 
of where he's like, hey, you're gonna have other things to deal with. This isn't gonna be the only thing. Here's the best way to look at this, the best filter for your morality, the best filter for your ethics, the best filter for you as a Christian. Here it comes, are you ready? I can't overbuild this up. This is a statement you know, and it's the best statement for you to live by. This is how you need to live your life. Verse 31, he says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for what? Do it for the glory of God. Now, does that mean I can sin for the glory of God? No. Just throwing that out there before you over, over, overuse this. You can't bring God glory in sin. But he's saying, as you're navigating this, as you're trying to be careful, as you're trying to worry about what can I do, what I cannot do, what about back then? He's like, listen, listen, live for God's glory. That's what's important. Eat so he gets, because I mean, live in a way so he gets the praise, the honor, and the fame. Part of glory is being known. Live in a way that God gets the glory, the honor, and the fame. It's okay. Live in a way for God's glory. And he says, well, how can God be known? What does this look like? He tells us, verse 32. He says, don't give offense to the Jews or the Gentiles or to the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many more will be saved. And when I first read this, I was like, Paul, this isn't true at all. From a casual reading, it looks like Paul's going back on a lot of other things he says because he says, listen, I don't give offense to anyone. I don't offend anyone. It's like, Paul, have you met yourself? Are you naive to what you've written in this book? You offend plenty of people. He says, don't give offense to Jews. Paul, they beat you and tried to kill you and throw you out of their synagogues. You offended them many a times. What do you mean you don't offend Gentiles? Rome killed you, Paul. They threw you in prison. What do you mean you don't offend people? How does that work? Because at first, right, this looks like Paul's a people pleaser. And it looks like he's telling us to be a people pleaser, to just go around and be kind and be nice and never offend anybody. But is that possible, church? Is that what Paul did? He says he did, right? I was like, Paul, you're contradicting yourself. We need to throw this out. Let me help you out. This isn't right. And then I realized what he is saying, and this is where it gets very uncomfortable. He's qualifying his statement. He said, here's how it works, and it's the second part. You can go to the next side, verse 33. He says, I don't just do what's best for who? Uh Uh-oh. How many of y'all do what's just best for you, and what you like, and what you prefer? Don't lie, you're in church. He's like, no, no, what does it look like not to offend people? It's living for myself. For me, for my glory, my preferences, the things I like, the things I like. He said, no, no, I can't live for me any longer. I do what's best for others so that many may be what? Oh, so the salvation of other people matters. He says, I don't do what's best for me. He says, I live in a way that honestly strives to help other people. He gives up his rights. He gives up his freedoms. He gives up his privileges because all of us, let's be honest, all of us have a selfishness inside of us to want what's best for us. And Paul's like, no, no, you got to give that stuff up. But why do we give it up? What's his overriding concern? People pleasing? No. The overriding concern for Paul, the overriding concern that must be for us is that we do things in a way that many may be what? 
saved. And is the gospel offensive? Absolutely. It's the gospel and living out the gospel that offends, not him personally. He's not personally trying to offend, but when you live out the gospel, you will offend people. His overriding concern is the gospel and the salvation of other people. And when we put these things two together, he's saying, listen, live in a way, do everything for the praise, the honor, and the fame of God. Do everything for him. And give up your preferences and give up your rights so that others will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, why? Verse 11. I'm mean, excuse me, 11 verse 1. He says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And he brings it back to Jesus. This is what it looks like to live. I mean, this is what it looks like to live on mission for Christ. The goal for every believer is to be like Jesus Christ. And here's where we get confused. It's not just the character of Christ, but also the mission of Jesus Christ, who gave up absolutely everything, and we're gonna remember this, who gave up absolutely everything for the salvation of, um, for our salvation. And so we glorify God by getting on board with his mission. And if we as a church, if we would grab hold of what Paul's saying here, we as a church could make such a difference for the kingdom of God. You see, the vision for our church, as we've talked about, and Alan did a great job reminding us a couple of weeks ago, is three-pronged. It's that we want to be a Bible-based, grace-filled, gospel-driven church. What that means are we want to be a church that stands on the truth of God's word, but not teach it in a hateful way. Teach it in a grace-filled way because Jesus was full of grace and mercy and prioritizing, this is the gospel-driven part, and prioritizing reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what we believe Christ has called us to. That's where we're going and that's what it looks like to make and mature followers of Jesus Christ. And listen, I love you guys. Listen, I know how to be in the South now. Okay, look, I love you guys. I love this church. I love this community. We intend to be here for the foreseeable future. This is the church that my kids are going to grow up. This is the church that my kids are going to experience what many of your kids experience. It's the same thing to me that it is to you. It's going to mean the same thing to me that it means to you. This is where we're raising our family. Like That is such a big deal. But I love you enough to be honest. If you do not prioritize reaching people for Jesus Christ, you will be offended where we're going. If you thought or were taught that somehow the church was about your preferences or your traditions or your comfort, you will be offended at any gospel-driven church. And listen, the Pharisees were always offended. The self-righteous, religious people who were consumed with their glory and their power rather than the glory of God. They were concerned with their status. They were concerned with their glory. They weren't interested in reaching people or knowing God and seeing what he was doing in this world. Remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones in charge. And listen, this is so important. This goes personal, corporately, everything. Listen to this. They were so worried about losing what they had 
They were worried about losing their power. They were worried about losing their temple. They were worried about losing their comfort because of what Jesus was doing. He was changing everything and they were scared that Rome was gonna come, wipe them out and take it all away. They held on to everything so tight. In the end, they lost every bit of it. And Jesus warned them. He told them. He said, if y'all don't change, it's gone. If y'all don't change, it's gone. Just a few decades later, the war with Rome wiped everything they tried to not lose out. And they constantly criticized Jesus. Constant criticizing him for not paying attention, not doing the right things. Listen to what they say. Jesus sums it up in this. It's Matthew uh, chapter 11, 16 through 17. You can read it at home as well. He says, to what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game at the public square, complaining to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. Like no matter what we try to do, you were upset. Next verse. He says, for John didn't spend time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. He says, no matter what we're doing, you're complaining. No matter who God sends, you're complaining. What are you doing? He says, but wisdom is shown to be right by its what? Results. You see, the father was moving through John the Baptist. Then people complained. The Pharisees didn't like him. They, King Herod killed him. Jesus was God. They still complained. And here's the great thing about this. We don't have to, and we're not going to be like this generation. We learned last week that things that were written in the past were written for us as a warning to us. And as followers of Jesus, we need to continue to live on mission for the glory of God. And we have to remember that the great commands, the summary of everything we are to do is to love God with our absolutely everything. And what's next? And love others. Where's, where's what about us in there, right? What about me? Love God and love others. And as Jesus follows, we must keep that in the forefront. And Jesus says, listen, although things are going on, you need to pay attention to what's happening. Because in Jesus's, in Jesus's incidents, he says, listen, the blind are seeing. The dead are being raised. People are being healed. God is moving here. Why aren't you paying attention to what's happening in front of you? And as we close out 2022, it's right around the corner, I just want to remind you of some of the incredible things that you've made happen here at our church as we start taking and have been taking, bringing glory to God serious. And as we are starting to and are going to continue to reach out and tell more people about Jesus, just think about all the, all the accomplishments we've been able to do together. First, at coming out of COVID, our church actually grew We've had more members join and more people um, be baptized than any time known in the past. And as many churches are struggling, and I'm sorry to hear that, our church has been growing and praise God for that. Our church is in the best financial shape it's been in a very long time because of your continued generosity. 
We are seeing people grow in Christ. I hear testimonies all the time of people learning more about what it means to live for Jesus, getting outside their comfort zone, seeing life transformation, and it's so amazing to see that happen. We see many of you stepping up, starting your own discipling groups and pouring your lives into other people, watching them grow. We're bringing seven first-time deacons to our church on board this year. That's seven new ministry leaders to this church who's never been a ministry leader here at our church. We have a vibrant men's ministry and women's ministry that people love to attend. There's more youth and children's activities and studies than there, excuse me, than there's probably ever been, but probably continuation of all the good things that's happened. We even have people standing out front drinking coffee ready to greet you nowadays. Some of them I don't know if you should talk to. It just depends on who's out there today. Just ask me, I'll let you know. But just take Jingle Jam. We had an estimate of 50 to 60 first-time attenders to our church at Jingle Jam. It was a great thing. But listen, God is moving here. He's going to continue moving here in church. We're not done yet. We're gonna keep putting God first and reaching people for Jesus Christ. Some of the cool things we have coming up is our deacon is putting, excuse me, our board our board is putting together a dream team to start dreaming about what it looks like and what could possibly be for a building or some type of thing over there in that parking lot that the church has talked about in a long time. We're actually in a position to start for real thinking about it, to start thinking what could and what should and what do we want to do as a church. It's pretty exciting. We're starting to, um, we're going to continue to use our church space and making it more welcoming, open, and uh, welcoming and opening and environments where people can grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. To start having environments where they want to connect and grow and learn. And it's exciting. Listen, church, it's exciting to be a part of what God is doing in this church. But if you're not prioritizing reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be offended where we plan to go. But from the bottom of my heart, I need you to understand you don't have to be. Our priorities as a staff and leadership is always to bring glory, honor, praise, and fame to the name of Jesus Christ and help others live into the gospel and use their gifts and talents and abilities to raise up more people, to raise up the next generation of leaders in order to reach more people with the gospel message. And church, if we partner in this with all of our leadership and talents that God has gifted this church with, if we prioritize what we should prioritize, we will see God move at this church like you've never seen him move before. Because our community is growing like it's never grew before. As Alan reminded all of us, when you get on 501 and see all the traffic, that's the mission field, folks. They're everywhere. God is going to use this church in an amazing way because the opportunities are greater than they've ever been because the people, there's more than there's ever been. And so this morning, when you come to the table, when you come to take part of the body and the blood that was shed for you. I want you to be reminded that it's an act of worship. You are coming together to be united with Jesus Christ. You are coming to be united with his people, but you are coming to be united around his mission for us. We get our identity from him as Jesus followers. 
And coming to the table, taking of the body and taking of the blood reminds us that our lives are not to be lived for our glory. It's way too small of a thing to live for. But our lives are to be lived for his glory, honor, and fame. And so this season, when we remember he came to us, also remember he lived among us. And as we celebrate that he was born, perhaps this will be the time, this will be the season that you celebrate your new birth as not just being born again for Jesus, which is amazing, the salvation piece. But perhaps you'll be born and ready to join him on the mission of reaching people with Jesus Christ, of giving up yourself for the benefit of other, because the gospel is that important. What Jesus has done for us is that important. And church, we need to continue to get that message out. So this morning, when you come to the table, think about his calling on your life. Think about what he's asking you to step up and do. And think about how you can bring him more glory in all that you do. Whether it's eating a steak, putting up a Christmas tree, or stepping into leadership. How can you bring him glory and all that you do? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning we come to the table remembering that you laid down your life for us. We come to the table remembering that your body was broken and your blood was shed on the cross. We come to the table this morning to dedicate our lives to your mission in this world. And Father, we confess that our priority and our conferences and our preferences often overtake your glory. We ask for forgiveness from those sins. Help us see the world how you see it. Help us live in a way that reflects your goodness and your love for the world. Father, we thank you for the salvation and your grace. We thank you for knowing that you have saved us and redeemed us and called us to your purposes. And Father, we ask you to continually unite us as a church. And we as a people call out, here we are, Lord. Send us, use us for your glory, honor, and fame. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.